Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Kelly Lara. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Gosh, what a blessing to be here this morning and to just have a little opportunity to share um, what God is doing in our outreach. We kind of realize we've been attending here for about two years, and a lot of you don't even know what we do. Um, some of you um, have been so faithful to help us and support us and, and volunteer with us, but so often I run into people, I didn't even know that that ministry was here. So um, we're just going to take a couple of minutes uh, to talk about that this morning. Um, most of you know I am a Bible teacher and, and travel. I've been doing that since 2011. But God began to stir up in my heart the reality um, that I needed to lead by example of what loving in action looks like. It's one thing to teach it. It's another to live it. And so I began to pray about, God, where would you have us do this? What? And he just began to stir up my heart over James 1.27, which says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit the widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And so I just realized as the Holy Spirit was speaking to me that my teaching was doing that second part. I was trying to teach people how to walk in line with Christ, be in the world but not of the world. But that other part, to visit the widows and orphans in their affliction, that word visit is pretty powerful, isn't it? It means enter into it with them and bear them up. And so I began to pray, God, how would you have us do this? And he was showing me that the widows and orphans in our day are broken families, single moms, single dads. It's not just about death. The enemy has been attacking families. And so there are generations being raised without that father figure, without hope, and even condemnation coming from the church, from where their situation is. And so I was asking, okay, how do we meet this need? And I had someone working with me at the time that had a background of abuse and had a relationship with the local safe home. And so out of this began to develop this relationship that we began to meet needs of abused women and victims of domestic violence, trying to come out of that culture and giving us an opportunity to usher them into the culture of heaven. And so what we do is we have a warehouse where we collect items, anything that... Um, they might need to, to start an apartment. Typically, when an abuse victim leaves, they're running for their life. They've got nothing but the clothes on their back and often have kids with them. They've got nothing. So our clients are coming to us from shelters and other organizations that we partner with that when someone is ready to leave a shelter and get out on their own, and maybe they've been on the housing list and, and have gotten a, a way to get started, they've got nothing. So they come to us, and it gives us a way to be an expression of God's grace to them. And so they come in and walk through our warehouse. I think we have a couple of pictures of our warehouse, if, if you guys have them back there. So we, do, we have toiletries, cleaning supplies, that kind of stuff to help get them started. But we also have furniture, appliances, anything that they would need. And they can come in and pick the items that they would want for their home. And so we try to usher them into a place of dignity where they've had nothing. They actually come and get to shop and select and choose. We even have decorations um, and, and 
help them establish a home. And so often they're coming in and they're like, why are you doing this? And we get to tell them it's because God loves you. And we want to be an expression of that love. That's what it's all about, ushering them into the Father's heart. And so this gives us an opportunity to become a part of their life, to enter into relationship. I think, um, did we have a picture, I think, of a moving team? So what we do, once they've selected everything, we get together a group of volunteers who come meet at the ministry, pack up a truck. You might recognize some faces here. That's my husband in the front, several people from this congregation um, that come, and we, we load up the trucks and bring it and actually move them in. We'll put the beds together for them. We put pictures on the walls if they want. We, we hook up the washer and dryer for them. Most of them don't even have a tool to be able to do it. And they are just so overwhelmed by this expression of love when they have had nothing and they have been in a place of abuse and someone telling them their worthlessness, that they're not lovable. So many times I have heard that is the lie that is spoken again and again. You're damaged goods and no one could love you. I just take him in my arms and hug him. No, I love you, and God loves you, and I'm going to walk with you on this journey. So a part of, another part of what we do is we help them financially sometimes when they have um, that need. We pay the security deposit to help them get into their new place. We always make sure that there's going to be income coming in, that they can sustain it, and we pay it directly to the the lease company or the, the renter, but we just want to help them get on their feet, help them keep going. We, we just believe that we are to invite them into this community because they're coming from a, a broken family, and we want to be the family of God coming around them and showing them what love can look like and being that community for them when they've got nobody else. They come to us, and God has just been exploding in the last couple of months in the ministry. And we have had, I mean, they're starting to just come. We, we have appointments for them to come in. We're starting to get walk-ins. They're, they're just stopping in because they're, they're, they're having a bad day. And they know when they come to us, they're going to feel better when they leave because they've encountered love. They've encountered peace. I actually had the privilege on Thursday of praying somebody into the kingdom. And it was a girl... So much brokenness and even hurt from the church. When she was seven years old, she had been um, ne neglected by her mom. Her mom was an alcoholic and would just take off. She'd go to the bar and be gone for days on end. And she and her sister were left in the house without food, hungry, no one to care for them. And so they started in this place of neglect. And when she, she just wanted to feel the love of somebody. And so she had asked her mom, can I go to church? she thought there in the church she would feel and receive what she wasn't getting from home and there happened to be a bus that would pick her up and take her to that place or her mom said sure put her on the bus one of the times that she was around and when the church sent her home that day they told her mother if she comes back would you please make sure that she has something better to wear and so she was not allowed to go back breaks my heart. That is not who God is. That is not who God is. And even those that are supposed to love them are rejecting them and hurting them. And it is just time that the body of Christ reveals who God really is. That's why I'm in ministry. That's why Love Lives exists. That's why we gave it that name. Because we want to prove 
Love is a living entity. His name is Jesus. Love lives. It is alive, and there is power in it to transform and heal, and we're beginning to see that. And so as we've been building these relationships with these women, we're we're getting ready to launch into the next phase of ministry of healing communities where we bring them into a small group and are teaching them the word and their identity and who they are to bring them out of that culture and into God's arms. So that's just in a nutshell, a little bit about what we're doing. Just to to tell you a little bit about what we've done so far this year, as of November 1st, we had done 39 client moves. I know we've had a few more since then, so it's in the low 40s of women leaving shelters and, and helping them enter into a home. Over 40 of them just this year we have we have provided for. We have paid out over $32,000 in rent and utilities, emergency situations when electricity is about to get shut off or helping them get started, over $32,000. $19,000 in mattresses and pillows. (laughs) That's the one thing that we will not take used is mattresses. We buy new mattresses, mattress and box spring for everyone. We had a couple of weeks ago a, a mother with six kids and we were buying all those beds. Um, thankfully God's provided we have a a mattress company that gives us a great deal but that's still a huge expense that we have in the ministry and then another thing we do um, we partner with Jean Latiford my husband has stepped into this ministry with me and we have facilitated over $11,000 in car repairs this year just helping provide safe vehicles so that they can get around with their children so This is what we're doing, wanting to step into life with them and bear them up, help elevate them into what God has for them. My vision is the Acts 2 church where no one goes without. Everyone shares what they have. And so I see us as a a way with our warehouse to be stewards. We just facilitate the transition from here to here. Somebody has extra We'll hold on to it and pass it off to someone that has need. And that's what we we hope to see and invite churches, people, other agencies to step into this with us and transform our community, get rid of that poverty culture, get rid of that false identity that I am not worth it, and just release the love of God into our community. So we'd love to invite you all to be a part. Uh, We need donor partners. We need donations of of furniture. Um, We're kind of picky about what we take because we want to bless them with the heart of God. We don't want what we would throw away. We want to bless them with the very best. So we love to give new items when we can give a new comforter for a bed. Um, So that's one way that you can partner with us. We also need financial partners. As, As the vision keeps growing, The need keeps growing. We need more funding to be able to meet the needs of the things coming in. We need volunteers for sorting, cleaning, moving, um, gift cards for gas and groceries, just in those moments to help them get by, um, helping us keep our shelves stocked with some of those things. And we also have lots of projects. If anybody is interested in volunteering handyman services, fixing up a piece of furniture that might have something broken, painting something for us, plumbers, when 
that they don't have any connections that would be willing to donate time to go, to go fix it. So we have a table out in the foyer this morning. It has um, just some materials about the ministry, some of my, my books and DVDs, that some of the teaching, if that's something that you're interested in. But there's also um, sign-up sheets if you'd want to volunteer or get on our email list to keep regularly updated on what our current needs are and see if you want to partner with us that way. So we'll have some people back there after the service, and we'd love to talk to you a little bit more about what we're doing. So... <laughs> So that said, that leads us into this message that has been burning in my heart. And I want to talk to you this morning about identity because domestic violence victims are not the only one in need of healing. Every one of us has suffered the abuse of the enemy in our lives and has wounds that Jesus wants to heal and restore that's what he came to do. That's what he came to do. He came to literally bind up our wounds, not cover them over. Not hide them and pretend it didn't happen. He came to deal with it. When Nathan started preaching on healing a couple of weeks ago, my heart was just jumping. A couple of us that have been involved in the mission of, of our ministry just felt like, oh, we just all wanted to stand up and yes, because this is where God's been taking us. The healers must be healed. We are to release healing in our community, but if we're operating in our own brokenness, we're not going to be able to give that to them. And we need to understand that. The enemy has brought so much confusion to the church. We don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. He is waging war on identity. We see that in the church, and we see it in the world, don't we? There's so much confusion. People don't even know what gender they are. Identity is, is the source of the enemy's attack. And so I want us to consider the question today of why. Why? Why is identity so significant to the enemy? What does he fear that makes identity his target? And so to answer this, we've got to go back to the beginning. We're only going to look at a couple of verses of scripture today, but we're going to Genesis 1, starting in verse 26, and see what God shows us about identity. Now, this is the passage of Scripture where God declares his intention over man at the very beginning. His first command is what? You might be able to say it with me. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? This is what the, the calling of man at the beginning. But we need to understand that this is not just about population. God had something very specific to accomplish, and we'll understand it when we look at the context of the command. So we're going to start reading in verse 26. Then God said, he's just made the earth, he's just made everything else in it, and he's about to create the pinnacle of his creation. And he says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God declares his intention. This is his thoughts. This is what I'm about to do. And so he does it in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is significant to God. He does not waste words. 
If he's repeating himself, there's something he wants us to notice. And he's just mentioned image four times in two verses. So God created man in his own image. And just in case you missed it when I just said it, I'm going to repeat myself. In my own image, I created them. Male and female, I created them. And so he's looking at more than procreation. He is not just interested in multiplying people. He wants to multiply image bearers, carriers of his own identity that he poured himself into us and then called us to pour it out on the earth. And so he creates man in his image and immediately speaks a blessing over them in verse 28. And God blessed them. This is significant to us too. He literally speaks a blessing over those that he just created. And what happens when God speaks? Something occurs. Power is released, right? All of creation. Let there be light. There was light. He blessed them. Be fruitful. So as he spoke the blessing over man, the power is released to accomplish that desire. And so man became, in that moment, fruitful with the ability to multiply and fill the earth. We came under the blessing of God. So he says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every little thing that moves on the earth. There are two obvious things highlighted in this passage. The first is image. The second is dominion. Identity and authority. These two are linked. And so God proclaims his purpose over creation. He says, bear the fruit of my image, filling the earth with who I am, and from that image rule the earth. That was the blessing at the very beginning. Our ability to take dominion directly links to our identity, which is why the enemy attacks identity, because he wants our authority and dominion. If he can confuse us about our identity, he can undermine our authority. The two are linked. So you and I need to understand what does it mean to be an image bearer? What does it really mean? We talk about it a lot here that we are made in the image of God. We often think about the fact that, well, God has three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have three parts, soul, spirit, body. God has free will. We have free will, intellect, those things that we are made in his image. But we forget what I believe is the most important part is that we had his character, the image of God, the character of God, we shared it with him, his own nature. In the beginning, man expressed God's identity, his own attributes, all that he is. So God pours his own nature into man, giving us his image, and then calls us to pour it out on the earth and fill the earth with who he is. That's what it's all about. It's not about just filling the earth. It was about filling the earth with the identity of God, the character of God, the nature of God, the heart of God, everything that he is that makes him good, was supposed to pour into man and pour out. We see two characteristics of his nature already in these verses. When God said, let us make man in our image, one of his characteristics is fellowship. 
God himself is relationship. It's a part of his identity. It's who he is. He never operates outside of it. So for us to be image bearers, we are also going to operate in fellowship, in community, fellowship with him and fellowship with others. It's a part of what makes us like God, bearing his image that way. God does not move apart from relationship. It is his identity. That's why after he created man, he looked, and it's the first time in all of the creation story that we hear, this is not good. It was not good for man to be alone because part of God's identity, his image in us, is fellowship, community. No wonder Jesus said, where two or more gather, there I am. Why? He manifests as we agree with his image. That's his image, fellowship. So the unity of us coming together manifests him. And that unity is another part of it. We're told about God, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It's not these three different parts operating against one another. They operate as one. Unity is a part of his nature. He always operates in perfect agreement. Fellowship without disagreement. That's the image of God. Part of his character. Part of his nature. What we were created to be. And we see that theme of agreement all through scripture. When we're told to confess him as Lord, that word confess literally means to agree. I'm stepping into agreement with God about who he is. When I confess my sins, I'm stepping into agreement with God that, that this is hurtful and this is wrong and I want to be different. And we see God manifesting again through agreement when Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Why? Two people stepping into the image of God manifests him in that place. God manifests on earth as his image is revealed. That was the plan from the very beginning. God showing himself, revealing himself, not on his own, but through people, his image bearers, as we revealed who he is. And so his command, bear the fruit of my image, multiply it, and fill the earth with all that I am. God describes his fruit for us in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of his spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the image of God, declared for us in Scripture. This was the fruit originating from man in the beginning. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Can you even imagine it? A world in which every person reflected the nature of God, the character of God, the image of God. Life-giving, loving, everything that we did would have perpetuated life, joy, peace, all that he is. That's how we began. Vessels filled to overflowing with God's own nature, expressions of his identity, operating in his love as life givers. Givers, building and sustaining. But fruit bearing was just the beginning. There was five pieces to the blessing that God spoke over man. Be fruitful multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. This is the calling of man. God was saying, be fruitful. Allow me to cultivate my image in you. Multiply, 
Share the beauty of my nature with the others around you. That's a part of God's nature. Life, life perpetuates life. It does not end. There was no death. So by the very nature of God in us, it would multiply and go forth because life begets life. It cannot be contained and it multiplies as it is given away. Jesus taught us that, right? With the bread and the fish, as it was broken and given away, it multiplied. That's how multiplication happens in God's kingdom. And so then he says, don't just multiply, fill the earth. Go, take new territory. Jesus didn't just come up with the go, take territory in his commission to us. It originated in the very beginning. God, he was returning us to our calling. We were always called to bear the image of God and take territory. Go out and fill the earth. Increase the kingdom. And as you move into new territory, subdue it. Establish my authority over it. Be the vessel of my authority over that place. And then as you take authority over it, have dominion. Maintain it. Continue to operate in the dominion that I have given you. This is God's kingdom purpose. Proclaimed from the very beginning when man first comes on the scene. Bear my fruit. Fill the earth with my image. Establish my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Intimacy with God. Life flowing from God out onto his creation. But then the serpent entered, didn't he? The deceiver who opposes God and wanted the authority that God had given man. And identity empowers authority. So to take our authority, he had to confuse our identity and separate us from our source. And so that's exactly what happened. He made Adam question God's character. And in Genesis 3.1, we read, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He makes Adam question the goodness of God, the character of God, the nature of God. That's where doubt comes into the picture. He attacks God's character. Is he really trustworthy? Do you really think he's telling you the truth? Exactly the same thing he does with us today, isn't it? Questioning the character of God, the identity of God. Who is God? And he causes him to question. He always attacks truth because life flows through truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's not one or the other. So when we detach from the truth, we detach from the life. It comes to us through the truth. So when he can convince us to believe a lie, he detaches us from the truth, which is the source of life. And he wields his own will in our life instead of God. So then Satan blatantly contradicts God after he gets him to question his identity, his character. He literally comes out and says, you will not surely die. Contradicts exactly what God had told him. If you eat of this, you will die. You will not surely die. And so Adam has a choice to make. Which statement am I going to agree with? Which statement am I going to believe? And Adam trusted Satan, and Satan took authority over man's heart. He chose to agree with the lie instead of God. And here's a truth that we need to understand. We come under the authority of whatever we agree with. 
We come under that authority. When Adam was in agreement with truth, that was the seed that was in his heart originally, the word of God, the truth of God, he was under the authority of that word and operated in righteousness. When he detached from that and attached himself to the lie, he came under the authority of the liar. And then the enemy was able to have his way. When he did that, he planted a new seed in man's heart, enslaving it with sin. And so when he did, he changed the type of fruit we produce. We're still under the blessing of God. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Only the fruit that is coming out of us does not resemble the image it was supposed to. It now resembles the enemy who has taken authority over our hearts. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Love has turned to hate, giving to taking. The fruit we bear no longer reflects God's image, but the enemy's. Instead of unity, we have division and discord. Satan's image. He's a divider, a separator. He breeds separation, blame. We see that immediately in the garden when Adam and Eve fell under the authority of Satan. They separated from one another, started blaming each other. It was her fault. It was his fault. No, it was your fault, God. Blame immediately enters. Accusation is the enemy's nature, not God's. We're told in Revelation 12.10 that he is the accuser of the brethren. And he stands before God and accuses us to him day and night. When we operate in accusation, we are not standing as an image bearer. We are revealing the image of the destroyer. We're aligning with him. And when we do it in the name of Jesus, we're deceiving people about his character. We are called to reveal the authenticity of who he is, the love that he is, the life that he is, the unity that he is, the fellowship that he is. That's our calling. But instead of fellowship, we isolate ourselves. We operate in competition and jealousy, image of the enemy. We operate in fear, the image of the enemy. The fruit of God's spirit, which was meant to nourish and grow and sustain life, has been overshadowed by another image, the enemy's fruit. He exchanged love with fear and self-protection that breeds hate. Sorrow overtook our joy. We find ourselves crushed under the weight of depression. How many of you in this room feel the weight of that? It's because we come under the authority of one who is a depressor. And we're allowing him to convince us that that's where we can stay. It's not who we are in Christ. Instead of peace, we naturally worry. Anxiety and stress rule over us. He robbed our peace. Peace is found in Christ. And our identity in Christ is that I am peace. He says, I will keep in perfect peace the one who steadfastly keeps his mind on me and knows who he is. That's God's promise to us. In the place of patience, anger erupts out of us all the time. Irritation, agitation, the enemy's image. In place of kindness, we hurt people. Evil crushes goodness. Faithfulness withers from doubt. Doubt has taken the place. We are harsh instead of gentle. Our words bite and cut, tearing down instead of building up. 
And self-control is just an illusion apart from Christ. God's image on earth has been overshadowed, suppressed by his own creation. He created us to be image bearers, filling this earth with his life-giving nature. And instead, because of sin, our character naturally reflects his enemy. We reflect the image of the one who governs our hearts. The one we are stepping in agreement with. The enemy's mandate is to keep God hidden, to suppress the truth so he can maintain his authority. But through the cross, the authority of the enemy has been overturned. Another expression of who God is, his true identity, he is love. He is love. It's not what he does, it's who he is. So he went to that cross so that he could buy back authority from the enemy and pour himself back into us that we could be true image bearers again. We are the way that God is to be revealed on this earth. He restored us to our heavenly identity, that love would naturally spring from our hearts instead of hate, that we would become givers instead of takers. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, making it a reflection of me. That's God's heart. Jesus said in John 15, 8, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Not good works, much fruit. Showing yourselves, revealing yourself as my disciple. Because my disciples, my true disciples, they have my heart. They have my life flowing through them. He said again in Matthew 7, 16 and 20, you will recognize them by their fruit, not by their works, by their fruit. Whose image do they bear? Whose image is being displayed in their life? Not by works. And just after in the very next verse in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus makes this statement that just shook me so many years ago. It's why I'm in ministry. He makes this decoration, he prophesies, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father. Now the enemy would turn and convince us and even had me here for a while that, it, that it's a workspace thing. We've got to do the Father's will. We've got to do it. What is the will of the Father? That's the question that's pivotal here. The will of the Father is that we would love him and become a vessel of his love. That's the will of the Father. Old Testament, New Testament, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus, when asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, it's this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Let all that you are submit to all that God is and be transformed and become a carrier of his heart. And from that place, then we can love others as our self, as our true self, our, our identity in Christ. This is the will of the Father. Are we on mission with him here? Or have, has the enemy, the deceiver, pulled us away from that and convinced us that it's about works, it's about what I do? Jesus said, many of you are going to say to me, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I even work miracles, things of power? The enemy also can display power. 
He is a deceiver. What shows that we are his is operating in his heart. We have got to remove the enemy from our territory. He has called us to take ground. I cannot take ground in someone else's life if I'm permitting the enemy to camp on mine. It is free people that, he, that free people. It is healed people that heal people. And we're, we're in such confusion about why don't I see God moving in my life? God's plan to manifest on the earth is for image bearers to step into agreement and alignment with who he is and become that vessel, a gateway that the divine enters into earth. If we want to see God manifesting in our midst, we need to offer our hearts. We need to enter his presence, let him show us the lies that we've been believing. Where have I been agreeing with the enemy and letting him have authority? And we need to get him off the land. Take that ground, take that territory. And as we take that territory, we become multipliers of the fruit. It takes over us. It can't help it because he is a multiplier. He is a life giver. It is who he is. And he is so, so loving. God's been taking me on a healing journey in these last months. Just taking me deeper into his heart, showing me who he is. And I realized that I have been operating under this shackle of guilt Loving God, serving him from a place of love, but allowing the enemy to still convince me that I needed to earn something. I knew God loved me, but he showed me recently that I wasn't convinced he liked me. That my behavior had to be a certain way for him to like me. And a couple of weeks ago, I just had find, carved out some time to be in God's presence. And I was asking him to show me, Lord, I want to meet with you. And I was reading something about entering a place of safety. And this image came to my mind of when I was a little girl. And I used to, in the summertime, we'd go to my grandmother's house and spend our time there. And there was a swing, a big tree swing at the neighbors. And they would let us use it all the time. And I would spend hours on that swing. Hours by myself, swinging as high as I could go, just out by the water, feeling safe and feeling peace. And I started to recognize as, I, as God was reminding me of what was going on in my mind there, I was escaping my reality. I didn't like who I was. And so as I would sit there on the swing, I would pretend to be somebody else. And I would run through all kinds of scenarios of who I could be if I wasn't me. I had a different name. <laughs> and I was liked in that place. And I felt safe there. The lie I felt safe in. Isn't that interesting? And as I'm processing this through with God and seeing this, I was realizing that I had taken that into my, into my now. With as far as God had brought me, I was still thinking I had to earn something. That I had to attain something. That I wasn't quite enough yet to fulfill the vision, the calling that he's put on my life. And in that place... He suddenly showed me him there watching me as I was a little girl, smiling, looking on even in my self-loathing and my pretending. God wasn't judging. He was loving. He was smiling. And so I asked him, God, what do you want to speak to me here? What do you want to speak to me? 
And one word just came into my heart, just pushed everything out and stayed. Didn't make any sense to me, but it was a name. Eleanor. Nothing in my sphere of influence linked to nothing. I had no idea, but Eleanor. So I pick up my phone and I look up. What does the name Eleanor mean? And immediately what comes up, it says Greek. Bright, shining one. Bright, shining one. And right under that said the Hebrew, Eleanor, God is my light. God is my light. I just began to weep with him as he'd been showing me the last three years at almost every place that I would go to speak at a retreat or conference, one verse began it and initiated it because I couldn't let go of it. It was in my heart. And it was Isaiah 60, verse 1. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. It has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you. And he will be seen upon you. And nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And I had been crying out, God, I want to be one that your light shines through. That as the enemy comes and that darkness increases, that fruit that he is bearing continues to increase. That I would be one that your image comes through. That you heal through. God, just in that moment, this is how I see you, child. You don't have to attain something else. This is who you are. We need to come into the presence of God, into the word of God, and let him show us our truth. I had been operating in a place that felt I had to do something to even get to his presence, and he was showing me, I'm always there even when you can't feel me, even when you think you're alone. You don't have to do something to get to my presence. You carry my presence. And he showed me, I don't just have him in my heart. He showed me this picture of he was all around me and I was literally immersed in him. That's my truth. In him, I live and move and have my being. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. That's my truth. Whether I believe it or not, it's my truth. And as I believe it, as I step into agreement with what he is showing me and I get the enemy off that ground, refuse to believe those lies anymore, I don't have to do anything to get to him. I am in him. I am in him. As we do that, we become a vessel. As I step into agreement with who I am, his love can be poured out and anything is possible. Everything is possible for the one who believes. And so I just want to give you an invitation today. Will you open your heart to believe? Will you open your heart to see that he's good? He's good. And his whole nature, his character, it's within you. It's within you. The the deceiver is trying to keep it hidden because he wants to keep his ground. But if we stop believing his lies and we step into our truth in the presence of his love, we will change the world. We are the answer to the darkness. We are his answer, his gift. Will we stop blaming God for the evil and become the answer he created us to be? Would you pray with me, Father God? 
Lord, I just thank you for your love. I thank you that you never stop pursuing us. I thank you that you are a giver and not a taker, that you are life, that you are mercy, that you are goodness, and that all of who you are begins to pour out to us and through us as we believe. It is all about faith, God. So I ask for an outpouring of your spirit. Even faith is a gift from you, God. All good things come from you. And so would your spirit just pour out faith in the hearts of your people? God, would you just sever the, the veil that the enemy has put hiding us from you, God? Would you just let your people behold you in truth? And as they see you, believe and step into agreement with that. Increasing measure, glory to glory. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us even when we push you away, even when we deny you. Lord, make us authentic image bearers. Authentic, God. Come alive in us. Awaken us to the life that we have in us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.